You're listening to Tone Vendors, the Sound Designers Podcast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Tone Vendors, where we talk with the sonic artists behind our favorite films, series, and games. My name is Tim Muirhead, and I will be your host today as we head back in time to the late 1700s in France, where a revolution is brewing, to talk about the film Chevalier. It's the incredible true story of Joseph Bologna, the son of a slave and wealthy plantation owner who rises to the top of society through sheer talent and force of personality. But despite his unparalleled musical and athletic prowess, there are still barriers because of his skin color. Joining us today are Chevalier supervising sound editors, Bobby Banks and Greg Hedgepath. Bobby has somehow never been on Tone Benders before. I don't know how that has happened, so I'm so glad to fix that today. She's worked on a lot of your favorite films with 125 film credits, according to IMDb. Bobby was the supervising sound editor in charge of dialogue on Chevalier. Welcome to Tone Benders, Bobby. It's great to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Great to be here. Awesome. We also have Greg Hedgepath with us. Greg was previously on Tone Benders on our episode 107 covering the series SEAL Team. He's worked on one of my favorite films of all time, Straight Out of Compton, which I think, Bobby, did you work on that as well? Yes, I did as yeah. well. And then Greg has also worked on my six-year-old daughter's favorite film of all time, Frozen. Oh, so great. you really cover the spectrum. <laughs> Greg was a supervising sound editor in charge of sound effects and Foley on Chevalier. Welcome back to Tonebenders, Greg. It's great Hello. to see you. Good to be here. So I saw this film back in September 2022 at the Toronto International Film Festival in a sold-out theater and the audience was all in on this film. We were ready to party, and the film delivered. It was a great group experience, but I saw it without intention of ever doing an interview for Tonebenders, and when I left the theater, I thought, we have to do this. So I reached out to the people in charge and got you guys on here. I'm very excited to talk to you. Oh, that's great. At the Q&A after the TIFF screening, the director was there, Stephen Williams, and he mentioned that his aim was to anchor the film in Joseph's point of view. So he wanted to have it be a look back in time and feel like it was all from his point of view. I wonder how that translated into sound. Were you given that from the director at all? When I interviewed with Stephen for the first time, I admitted that I'd never done a period piece from this period, and I was dying to do it. I said, because there's so much to sink your teeth into, because unlike... Stepping outside right now where you'll just hear cars and the cars aren't even that interesting anymore. (laughs) You step outside in the 1700s and you have any manner of things, horses and chickens and you have bells and church bells and people and all kinds of stuff going on, blacksmiths. And I just knew it would be a feast for the ears. I told him I just really wanted to do the movie and I could see his eyes light up because I think that's the direction he wanted to go in. I think for the dialogue and for the ADR in the group, I started looking up what terms they used to say in that time, which sometimes is a little bit hard to try to figure out, but you have to get the right kind of the English that was spoken at that time. So I think that's part of the research that I had to do. And what about the accent issue? Oh, yeah, because they also, it was more British and then there's a northern part and a southern part, and so you have to figure out which part they're in at that time, and not too much French, which was another little challenge. That We had to bring those actors in that spoke the language. But there's a moment where she's speaking to her servant, and they have an exchange, and Chevalier says French is the chosen language in this country. But the interesting thing is he's speaking in English when he says that. and Because the it whole was, film's essentially in English. Yeah, and there was the choice that people would not speak with a French accent. 
And after a few moments, I think you get used to it. I don't know what your experience was, but if you were expecting to hear French, because for us, we just got used to it. But when Bobby brought the group in, we talked about it, and we wanted to have French accents, but the decision was made to not do that, so that everything was the same between the actors and the loop group people. So let's talk about the opening scene in the film. It's a kind of a powerhouse scene. To set it up, I'm not spoiling anything since it's the first couple minutes of the film. If yeah, you it's in seen the trailer. It. Yeah, yeah. Mozart is doing a live performance. For those of you who are somehow unaware, my name is Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And our hero, Joseph, comes into the theater somewhat uninvited and challenges Mozart to a violin duel. And the music in the scene is obviously spectacular, but I think what sells the scene is the audience reactions yeah. to what is happening. Yep. Without the audience reactions, it's just music being played, and the audience in the theater is being led by the audience on screen. Right. Exactly. So I was wondering if we could maybe, Bobby, I guess so this will go to you. Do you want to talk about how you built those reactions? Because it goes from almost disgust to right. pure joy and cheering. So we did it with group. It was a marriage between group and effects. Because we started with effects in the temp and the group made it shine, I think. But say what you're going to say. We've known each other <laughs> yeah. since 87. Yeah, so she's is... my, definitely my work wife. My <laughs> wife has met her and has okayed it. She's blessed the relationship. So we argue like husband and wife. And, <laughs> what do you mean? You do I was like, hello? <laughs> but anybody that works with us on the stage knows because yeah. we do the same thing. On the stage. And I'll say as an aside, even though this isn't a part of sound, Bobby will call me sometimes. I'll say hello and she'll say, what's wrong? Just from the tone of my voice. And she's right. She can tell my emotion just from, hello, hello. Yeah, because she's an ADR person. And she listens to that stuff. Okay. I can speak to the group portion of it. And then, Greg, if you want to talk with the effects. For the group, the reaction started off because Joseph is African-American. And so it's like, who are you to even say that you want to have a duel, even come down there and even speak. Like, so that was like the disgust. And so they're still like whispering to each other. <laughs> what? May I play along with you? <laughs> All right, fine, come up here. And then he gets up and they start to laugh, right? Like, how dare you get up and then stand there so proud type thing. <laughs> oh, no. Who put you up to this? And then as he started to play, they're still like not really into it, but then they really get into it. And the whole thing about recording group is that you really want the audience to be a part of the scene. So that helps. That's how I try to build it whenever I, I'm working. And so, the, so then he starts to play and then they start to get interested and stuff. And then he starts really playing to the crowd. And you could see, like, some of the women are getting a little uncomfortable. This one lady especially. And so we try. We also had somebody play her, and she does this, like, little breathing type thing to go along with the facial. And so then the crowd gets in to his plane. And by the end of it, it's just it just explodes for him. So it just that's such a powerful opening. Yeah. Along with what Bobby says, I'll say that we did a temp version of this to start with. And in the temp, all we had was library effects. So we cut 
the best stuff we had in the library that mimicked the emotion of the scene. But the whole time I'm cutting effects, I'm thinking, man, when we get group in here, this is going to be so good, so good. Because we always say group adds the sparkle to the scene. It makes it more alive. But in this case, it was crucial because we really needed to hear all those little things, like the little whispers and the little reactions from people. And and what we really needed was the call-outs, because the crowd Mm -hmm. in the beginning scene and also the end scene, which we can't spoil, but there's lots of call-outs, and especially later on, but just little reactions in the beginning. And it really lets you know how the crowd is feeling, correct? Yeah. And since we're spoiling the first scene, I will say that it mimics a duel in a rock concert. I'll say that much. And it has that kind of feel in it, and I think it pays off down to the last note that Joseph plays when he's playing that kind of seals the deal. We spent a lot of time mixing that scene, right? Because there was so much to take into account from my point of view, and then you even have a different perspective. But because the camera moves around this auditorium and you're up in the high seats, you're down on the ground, you're up front, you're on the stage, and we obviously didn't want it to sound too cutty, but at the same time, you wanted to get the perspective of the audience. So we had some beds that were playing throughout effects and group. And then on the different cuts, depending on what they were, we would really spice it up. I really think of group as spice because it really just seasons it and makes the scene really live. And that's what really came into play when we were moving around the room and we could hear the different people talking. But that took a long time to mix because we're not only dealing with the group, but we're dealing with the music, perspective on the music, the reverbs. You spend a lot of time, the mixer spent a lot of time figuring out which reverbs to use where, as opposed to just making it louder, softer, louder, softer, really trying to put you in the room which worked especially because of the time period where because it's not amplified you're going to hear the difference as you move around the room. Yeah, I was saying while he was talking I was thinking about what's in the trailer. He jumps down and bam, jumps off the stage. He jumps off the stage down into the crowd and they just go, "Oh my gosh, what is this?" You know what I mean? And it sets another level of the excitement. Yeah, they're all shocked cuz I'm sure back then nobody ever did something like that. It's so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just sets it up so good. Yeah. I got to say, I never get tired of looking at it, actually. That's when you can tell, and I'm sure you've experienced when you're working on a project and you just enjoy watching it over and over again. That's how this movie was. I want to piggyback on that and say we saw the film before we met with the director, and I was very happy I was in there by myself because I started crying Mm. because it's a very emotional piece because of all the things that he goes through. I cried at Shrek, but (laughs) (laughs) probably like halfway through or whatever, because it's just all the things that he just started to do. Yeah, Yeah, he went through a lot. Yeah, and sometimes you can relate that to your own life in some instances, and so just kind of... And we had to convey that through sound. Yep. (laughs) Speaking of conveying through sound, another scene that takes place in the film is the fencing scene. Which, in addition to being a cool fencing scene, it sets up that he's not just a musician. This is a spectacular person with many talents. Truly. And that scene, I have cut sword scenes before in my career. 
but whenever I've cut sword scenes, it's been part of a much larger battle. Mm. So there's places to hide. <laughs> this scene, there's nowhere to hide. There's obviously a much smaller crowd in that. So yeah. there is some crowd reaction, but it's just two people with, I guess, epis, which they're not full swords. They're yeah. the fencing swords. I don't remember the name. That, that, Foils, maybe? Right Foil? That. Is foil the right word? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. But it's very crisp and tightly cut. Do you want to talk about how you approach that scene? Maybe, Greg, do you want to start yeah, with that? Yeah. In, in talking to the director, it turns out the swords they were using were actually wood. Oh, okay. Or wood end, if I want to be correct. So we had to replace all that. Oh, actually, though, we did leave some of the production impacts in there because they were cool. But obviously the swishes, the hits, and the director wanted to be as realistic as possible. So when we first cut it, there were a lot of pachings and, and slides and that sort of thing. And we paired a lot of that back to just make it more real. And the thing that we did heighten is when somebody struck somebody else or swished and, you know, I cut them, that we did play up. So we were a little hyper real with that. So you could feel what that person's feeling, but we went for a realism in the scene. Yeah, I think as far as the group was concerned, even though what you see is relatively small, they still wanted to have more of a bigger reaction. We had a lot of call outs that we did during that time. But even still, with all of that, we still hit it during the mix, I think it wasn't as present. It was more of a, like a, not a mush tone, but you couldn't really no. hear the... <laughs> Don't call my effects mush tone. No, girl. not you. I'm just talking no, about kidding. as far as hearing the group clearly. They mm. wanted it more pulled back to hear the... Yeah, but you certainly get a feel of, yeah. of the group and the emotion. Yeah. yeah. The way it was shot, you have one guy come out and promote the fencer who's working on the side of the queen and then Chevalier's buddy come out and announce him, uh, you know, the friend of every man, whereas the other guy is saying the Negro, the scourge of society. But what they did is they took them and intercut the two during the sword play, which made it a lot more interesting. So we had to carry those things over. I would imagine it made it a little more difficult when you had the group playing while the other guys were talking, but, yeah. but it all flowed together. You don't really notice the cuts at all, really. It doesn't yeah. feel cutty. I was just thinking about the queen sitting back there. Oh, shall we? She's, mm-hmm. <laughs> the mm-hmm. whole scene is just really great, but she was just so enamored with Chevalier. Yeah, yeah, you can see it on her face. Meanwhile, her husband, the king, who died first, doesn't say a word. <laughs> yeah. Did you tell it? Did I tell it? Did you spoil something? It's okay. Okay. Marie Antoinette was killed. I hate spoiler alert. She was beheaded. <laughs> and her husband got beheaded first. Yeah. <laughs> it's called history. <laughs> Another really standout scene is when there's a big ball of some sort and our main character walks through it all. And sound brings different things into focus and pulls different things out of focus as he's going through. What are the considerations for building a crowd like that in a period piece? And how do you bring different things into focus of the dance floor versus everything else? It was a chaotic scene and you have to convey the chaos, but it still has to be clear. Yeah, as I remember, since I just saw it, they've just seen the concert where Minnie Driver's singing, and there's they're, they're it's boring, and he goes yeah. in there, he walks in with the Queen, and they're joking about. Yeah, yeah. And what I remember for you is that scene was problematic, noise wise. Oh yeah, you know, it doesn't show in the end, but man, <laughs> the problems were like mechanical noise, or yeah, footsteps and their garments and the mics rubbing up against wherever they had them. 
just didn't work. And they had beads on some of the costumes and things like that. So we tried as much to get it out of production, but a lot of times we just had to ADR it. Yeah, And there's some areas like where the queen comes over and she's holding a sparkler. And it looks interesting because she's holding it out from her. Look, Joseph. And she's showing him the reason she's holding it out is the dress she was wearing was flammable. And so they didn't want her to go up in flames, you know, the actress. And then they go and they talk. But she's talking on her laugh mic while this thing's going, and so it took a little while to really boost her voice. But you don't really notice it when you're watching it. I think we sort of made some of the noise just part of the environment. Also ADR'd it. And so we used part ADR, part production with the noise. But we were able to clean it up enough to where it blended in. Yeah. So we had to do that in group where they would say something about, oh, Chevalier, oh. So then you have to remember about the accent. you got to remember then it was like we had too many lines and which lines do you use? And oh, we don't like that line there. We've got to move this line over here. And it's all just about congratulating him going through the, mm-hmm. that the scene. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, he walks towards us into the other room where he talks to Minnie Driver and she propositions him. And yeah. Yeah, I won't say what happens. So with the group, a lot of times in big scenes like that, I'll cut many layers of it. I'll record it in many layers like with smaller groups so that you can either take away or add. And so then it's like you think about what's going in front of the mic right then, where you might place a person's voice or like laughter and that kind of stuff, and what's going to peek through as he's watching him walk and does he turn his head over here, you can put something there to make him turn his head, that kind of thing. We just build that way. Did that answer your question a while back? (laughs) It answered a couple questions I had, actually. (laughs) When you first got on the show, you mentioned that you asked to become part of the show. Mm -hmm. You petitioned? Yeah, pretty much. I interviewed with the director, and who else was on there? Somebody else. Was it the post-super? Maybe it was the post-supervisor. There was somebody else in the room. But anyway, yeah, I pretty much I did a job interview. Once you got the job, what were the directives given to you by the director and the producer's? Yeah, they wanted us to definitely emphasize the period. The thing was that the movie takes place during the beginnings of the French Revolution. So in the beginning, what they were talking about is they wanted to hear voices all the time wafting in through the window, and they would build throughout the movie. And we built it that way in the beginning, right? I think for the temp. I don't know if we went that far for the final. We tried it and they're like, nah, take them out. And the voices don't start to come in now until midway through the film. And it works better because after a while you get tired of, what's that unmotivated sound? Unmotivated sounds are the death for us, death knell, you know, when you have to try to explain what a sound is. So by the time you start to hear them, you know what's going on. And it builds from there. This is a question that maybe might not relate exactly to your roles on the film, but maybe you can enlighten me on how this happened. A plot point in the film is that our main character has written amazing pieces of music that are lost to time. But some written versions of that music have been found. Were they complete or just pages of it? Like, how did the music, how was it remade? Just to be clear, that's not necessarily a plot point in the movie. Over time, because it's a true story of yeah, one person. Right, right, sorry. We know now that what they call his libretto is very thin because there's not a lot that remains because Napoleon made a point of destroying everything and he almost did. So there are a few pieces remaining and they're bits and pieces of other pieces to the point where they know that Mozart actually 
borrowed slash stole from Chevalier in some of his pieces that were written later, but he used the same phrasing and the same notes, basically. So they were able to find some of it. And so for the film, when he's playing his music, they just extrapolated from the pieces that were historically found? Yeah? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I saw it at TIFF and the crowd went wild. When we were leaving, everyone was talking about the film, which is something that doesn't always happen. Sometimes when the film ends, everyone goes back to their real life and, oh, I got to pick up my kids tomorrow morning or something. But this, as we were walking out, everyone was talking about the film. Can I ask you, was there any common theme or thread that they were talking about or what they liked? A, I didn't hear entire conversations. It was just as I was going through, I heard people talking about it. I think people talked about how much they enjoyed the film. You start thinking about, it's a true story. How is that story made it through time for us to tell it now? And how much of this do you know to be fact, and how much did that influence your sound work? Before I interviewed with the director, I looked Joseph up on Wikipedia, and I hate to say it, but the easiest way to find him is if you look up Black Mozart, because he's known as Black Mozart in some circles. And hopefully now with the movie coming out, people will know him by his true name. But there's 14 pages in Wikipedia, printed them out and highlighted stuff. And it turns out his life is much more full than the movie even presents. Maybe it talks about maybe a third of his life, but his actions after the movie where he became a military man and fought in the revolution and the things he did and the groups of people that followed him, it's like a whole nother movie. And the thing is, you can see that they had what people call an embarrassment of riches, and they had to figure out what are we going to highlight in his life. So I think the opening sequence, the way it went down, there's no real way to tell how they confronted each other, but we know there was confrontation. So that's probably some of that's derived, but the rest of it's pretty much true as far as I know. Yeah, I was thinking about the scene with Minnie Driver when he confronts her. And confronts the queen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that was like the best scene ever. Because it was such an intense scene. You're like, he's so upset with being dejected. And he's now saying, oh, because I wouldn't have slept with you. You know what I mean? It's like this whole whole thing. He says, you're rejecting me because I rejected you. I wouldn't sleep with you. And so she, you know I'm the best. You know what I mean? It's getting like this. She goes, yes, but I don't call. You know what I mean? It's just, it's perfect. It's just freaking perfect. You hate her. You know what I mean? And you feel the emotions from them both. And I think a lot of times with this particular film, you are feeling so much emotion that he's going through that I think it's very relatable to a lot of people to where it goes all the way to the end when he just like walks by and has that one glare. And that's all you need because it's like it's on at this point. You know, it's like I'm done. It just builds up and builds up. And and I will say building to that scene where he goes in and confronts the queen, the director didn't really talk about the sound of the scene. I just looked at it and – In the previous scene, Joseph is seen in the balcony and he's drinking and he's getting drunk. And that whole previous scene had been cut differently where they wanted to try like just going way out. And they had a lot of swish pans and zoom ins and speed ramps and different things. It was really interesting. But forces prevailed that wanted to make it more straightforward, let's say. 
but I had done all those speed ramps and all those. And then the next scene came in and it was like a dream sequence when he's walking down this hallway because he's drunk. So nobody said to do anything different. So I just kept that part in. I worked on that for about a week or so with the idea of having verb voices, snippets of conversations as he's walking down the hall. He's in another world. So they're like reversed laughter. And when he picks something up, it's hyper-realized because when you're drunk or high, sometimes sounds are just like, you're like, oh, turn that down. So sets down a glass and tink, and the tink's real loud. And the idea from the previous scene that I carried forward to this one was that he was hearing people laughing at him. And so there's a lot of just laughter here and there that just pokes through that goes in the surrounds and passes by us. And he is getting more and more depressed as he's walking down this hallway. And then, then when he walks into the room, it's this cacophony of sound and it's all verbed. And what we did for the temp, we had this great mixer named Tom Ozanich for the temp. And he said, what do you want me to do here? And they said, well, make it sound weird. And he was like, ah. Uh, and it just hit me because I used to work on a TV Western years ago. And what they would do is if somebody would walk into a bar and there's somebody playing piano, they would take the piano, then they would take the track and tune it down a half step and play it against each other. And it would beat against each other. And it's just really annoying. So I just said, hey, take the music, step it down a half step and just bring it in and out. So it's okay. It's not okay. And he did that. And then he put it in the surrounds. And so that, and there's a lot of violins. And so because it's, it's high notes, the beating really played very well with the violin. And then he gets in the room and everything's really just cacophonous. And then it comes to a head. Then we cut to a perspective of the queen and everything's normal. So we're not seeing it from his perspective from that point on. It's a really effective moment, and I didn't realize what they were doing was this music trick that you just explained. Yeah, I just I'm gave that one, one in my, my back pocket for the future. <laughs> That's a good one. It's, it works. It really works, yeah. Even in the opera, we had the laughter going. Yeah, oh yeah. When she was singing, it's, ah, it starts laughing, just that increases. Yeah, and that's right, and you increased it in his head. Yeah, yeah, it's driving him nuts. Do you want to talk a bit about the riots at the end? Sure. How you built those? I'm always looking at what's going on in the scene and how best to like either with call outs things that you're not seeing but you want to hear off like people arguing over here people coming up marching up what are we going to hear from their voices so that it increases as you walk by the intensity and there's a scene where is it there the guy gets shot and then there's three people that try to pick him up. And so you're trying, even though you shoot it, you're not sure if you're actually going to hear those three people. But you hear a scream because that'll poke through. And then you've got these guys chanting as they're coming by. So we shot everything that you see. But when it comes to mixing, it's like, what's going to really prevail here? What do we want to hear more? I think we did a lot of the chants throughout that scene. In the beginning, we heard the scream, him, and then we had the guy that said something just before he got shot. So oh, Yeah, he says liberté or something like that. He yes. puts his arm and gets shot. And then, like, people's mouths going, but there wasn't anything in there, so what are we going to put? And so it's just a matter of, for me, it's just like everything that you see, you just want to capture as much as you can of that and still feel the intensity of the moment because you can hear the hardiness when they're recording. So we want to make sure that we got a lot of that to the English actors. And the scene started with Joseph laying in bed and he starts to hear something 
And we tried various things, glass break, somebody shout, and we paired it back and paired it back. So it's just like the minimum. I think somebody yells something, then you hear a dog bark, then you start to hear things break, as if the crowd is just now coming towards them. It's getting bigger and bigger. And so we could just build up the scene. And the other thing is the way the editor cut it, he cuts very quick snippets of Joseph writing, like his hand writing on paper. And the editor actually took some violin notes that probably are from the first scene and just put them in it's just for that short bit. So it's just jarring, which works really well. And it started again with a crowd bed from sound effects, which just gives you the meat and potatoes of the scene. And then the group is what really sold it. There was that scene where she comes in and they come she in on horses, Antoinette. Down with Antoinette! Right, so then you've got these guys on the side and they're pointing. And so you're giving them, the actors, what the scene is about and they're thinking in their head because they also do their own research, what they would actually be saying, right? And so then you look at the guy pointing and then you see a couple over here and they're yelling, right? So you have to figure out like what they're going to be saying, The interesting thing is, like, when those guys are yelling, like the guys on the right especially who are really active, you don't know what they're saying, but you hear the energy and the anger in their voice. That's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, because you want to get that. Yeah, yeah. Because you're focused on Marie Antoinette and the horses are, like, right in your face, but yet you can still hear these people in the background. You're not my queen! Yeah, Yeah, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, this is, like, a kind of a subtle thing, but in the beginning of the movie, Joseph's father takes him to the conservatory. And just basically drops him off and says, good luck. He doesn't say that, but he, Joseph doesn't speak any French. He doesn't know anybody. And his father just says, be a good Frenchman. Always be a good Frenchman. And in creating the environment, we spend a lot of time just with a lot of little subtleties for that environment. Just the voices that you hear off screen. We're looking in the headmaster's office. There's like a grandfather clock, but there was like a lot of little details, little voices. And each one is placed perfectly in between words to highlight the emotion of the scene. Because you have some kids that are going to be off screen. You're going to have people outside. You have livestock. We spent a lot of time trying to set that environment so you felt like you were really there. Okay, let's talk about a scene near the end of the film where our main character uh, is about to take the stage for the last time in front of a riled-up crowd as various clashes of society are clashing. In addition to music, there's chanting, stomping, screaming. How did that all come together? Joseph has decided not to put on his powdered wig, and for his final concert, (laughs) he walks out. So originally, the way... They didn't change the cut very much at all, but originally the sound was, you hear a little audience rumble, murmur, murmur, murmur. He walks out and says, yay, and they clap, and he walks out and does his thing. But then Bobby had been recording various chants from the crowd. They would say, like when we were outside. Egalite. Egalite, egalite, liberté. And I figured we could use those. So what I did was I found a recording in my library of some high school kids just stomping in bleachers. Brum. So I took him and cut him in rhythm to the voices. Brum, brum, brum. Dum, dum, dum. When he puts his hand, when, or he's, when he's looking at the wig or he puts his hand on it, you hear the beginnings of brum, brum, brum. The crowd's getting restless. Then you cut outside to the crowd outside, so you don't hear any of that because you're outside. Then when we cut back inside is Joseph now walking towards the, he's walking down the hallway towards the stage. Now you're hearing the, and then we bring in, in sync, liberty. 
and then that transitions to you know how people will be chanting and then it just becomes mayhem and people go nuts so I played it for the director because he hadn't asked for it he just went nuts he said and then he explains the whole psychology of the scene and why this works yeah and yeah we're all on the same page (laughs) great but so he was very happy with that so the stomping wasn't part of the original, like that, you came up with that all on your yeah, own? Yeah, yeah. That's it a big part of that. That really sells the scene. Yeah, yeah and the chanting amazing. too, yeah. And yeah. that's the kind of thing that when you're about to present to a director, it could go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. So it, it takes a do. bit of confidence to do that, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I'll tell you about a big confidence moment. I'll talk about the music. It's something that ended up working really well. So you remember the scene where Joseph walks down and he's in that alley and you see all the African people and there's some music and they're playing this song. Sounds very island, islandy. And so he walks over towards a group of people and their guys playing shaker rays and drums and different things. And one guy has him sit down and he plays the drum. Originally, the concept from everybody from the filmmakers was that Joseph is a savant. He's going to sit down that drum and just, he's just immediately, he's nailing it. But if you look at the actor's hands, they're not following the rhythm of the music because actually they had a different piece of music there. So he couldn't if he wanted to. My point was that he's a brilliant filmmaker, but even if he's a savant, he's not going to sit down at an instrument he's never played before and just nail it first off. So what I did is I talked to our music editor and so we were in different time zones. And so I said, could, if you don't mind, could I try something with the music? And I said, and I'll give it back to you and you look at it and see what you think. And he said, certainly I would, I wish you would. So he gave me carte blanche to do what I wanted to. So he sent me the music cue, the drumming cue. And so what I did was I did what we normally don't do. Because normally if you do Foley, let's say you're doing Foley for a dance movie, and people are dancing, you you don't cut the Foley to the movement of their feet because often it'll sound like a herd of elephants because everybody's not in sync. You cut to the rhythm of the music. And in this case, I went against the grain and cut to his hands hitting the drum because I wanted him to be offbeat. And then what happened, the camera kind of moves around. I think he ends up playing with this little boy who comes and they play the drums together. Before that, we're on his back, and the way it was originally cut, now at this point he's wailing. He's like, very Latin rhythm, but his shoulders aren't moving like that. And so in my version of it, tamed it down. So it's more following the rhythm of the music. And so I gave it back to the music editor. He said, yeah, that's great. I get it. I'm going to change a couple things. And he split the difference in the beginning. And it was a choice. And maybe he did the right thing by making it a little bit more musical. But he's definitely not hitting on the beat. Because when you look at it, now the way it looks like Joseph's playing, the camera dollies into his face. And you see him. And then they cut to his mom. She smiles at him. Then you cut to Joseph. He closes his eyes. And at that point, he falls into rhythm because the muse comes upon him. And that's how it works. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much for talking to us today. This has been a really fun talk. I got a lot of laughs. Oh, did you have something else you wanted to add? Yeah, I wanted to say the language was... Wallaf. She was from Senegal. Right. Senegalese. And it was Wallaf. And you had to find actors who spoke Wallaf. Yeah. That was quite interesting to do. But Barbara Harris did it with the group, so it was good. There we go. Thank you very much for joining us today. And thank you very much, Formosa Group, for hosting us today. Thank Jack, Erica, and Pat for helping set this all up. It was wonderful to talk to you. I hope we can have you on again one day. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
Filmbenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. 